In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But if you go watch a play, or perhaps read a play, but if you go watch a play at a theater, it's generally true that the main character in that play is going to have the most lines. Right? That's why everyone wants to play the lead if they're an actor. For example, if you've ever seen Hamlet, or if you've read Hamlet, the title character of Hamlet never stops talking in that play. And if you looked it up, you'd find that one-third of the play Hamlet is, in fact, Hamlet just talking. No other character come clo comes close to matching the number of lines that he has. And so the number of lines a character has in a piece has often been used to settle debates about who the main character actually is in a drama. For example, if you've seen the uh, popular 90s, early 2000s sitcom Friends, you would note that there isn't actually a main hero, or at least there's not supposed to be in that show. Each show more or less features the whole group of friends. That's why it's called Friends. But I came across an article in which television critics looked into it, and they found actually that the character Ross had the most lines, followed closely by the character Rachel, which makes sense because so much of the show was ultimately about their romance, and that lasted through many seasons, and the show was ultimately about them. But in our own lives, the people who speak the most to us are really the main characters in the drama that is our days. So I would guess the main characters in your life are likely to be a spouse, a sibling, a best friend, a parent, a coworker, right? The people that fill your days with words. These are the people who not only share information with us, but they shape us, and they shape how our life unfolds. We don't use words and language in a vacuum. Language and words are used to share ideas with others, and in sharing ideas with others, we get to in some way shape their life. Right, words, language, talking, these all become means by which we get to pour out our lives into others. We get to become the main characters in the lives of those around us. Well, our gospel reading this morning is a familiar story. We're comfortable with it. We know the details. We know the conflicts. We know the tension that's there. We know the various problems that are coming up for Joseph and Mary. However, when we, when we read this story, I think we might want to ask, who is actually the main character? Because the action itself is largely centered around Joseph. It's Joseph who was unwilling to disgrace Mary. Joseph was the one who struggled in contemplation with what to do. Joseph is the one who has a dream. Joseph is the one who acts and takes Mary as his wife. Joseph is the one who names Jesus. And all of this action is centered around Joseph. But we notice in the story, Joseph never speaks. He doesn't say a word. So maybe he's not the main character in the story. Well, Mary's in the story, but she's only in the story indirectly. She's only spoken about. So she's probably not the main character. And so we can ask, well, who is speaking in this story? Who is the main character? Well, an angel from the Lord speaks in a dream to Joseph. And here we have that preacher, that messenger, speaking the word of God. And then we have the prophet Isaiah speaking through quotation in the story. And so for Matthew telling this story, 
Both the message of the angel and the words of the prophet Isaiah are the words of God. It's the word of God that is speaking. And on top of that, we have God acting more than we would initially have thought when we read the passage. It's God who brings faithful Mary and Joseph to that right point in history to receive the good news. It's God who has put this child in the virgin's womb. And this child is not just a child, but this child is God with us. This child is God's activity in the world. Right? And this child's name is not just a name, but his name is Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And so who's the main character of the story? Well, it's not Joseph, it's not Mary, rather it's God. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I know that seems like the good and proper Sunday school answer, right? Every child in Sunday school knows that if you answer every question with God, you're eventually going to get some answers right. But I think Matthew is really being intentional in his storytelling. He gives neither Joseph nor Mary any lines because fundamentally the story is not about them. The story is about what God is doing in the world through them. And that's significant. Because if we really think this story is about Joseph and Mary, we don't really get the point. The main character of the story is God. And he makes an entrance, so to speak, right in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, in verses 1 and 2. Our lectionary cuts out that preceding section in Matthew, but it's really meant to flow into verse 18, where we start this morning. But Matthew 1.1 and following is the genealogy of Jesus. It's that list of those who have preceded him. And it gets cut out, understandably, because it gets kind of tiresome to read all of those names in church. right? Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and so on. But in Matthew, this is not just background material. Because it points to God acting in history right up to the moment that Jesus is born. Matthew points out that there were 14 generations from Abraham to King David, and then 14 from King David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the coming of the Messiah. Matthew's point is to connect the definitive moments in Israel's history, Abraham, David, and the exile, and make sure that we get the point that it's all coming to its climax in Jesus. It's all pointing to Christ. And if we're all pointing to Jesus, we can be clear that history is not random. History is always God acting to bring his word into the world. Right? Jesus was not a plan B. Jesus was not a contingency because all of God's other plans failed. Rather, Matthew wants us to know that history was and always is centered around Christ coming into the world. And so in verse 18, we again see the action of God as the driver in our text. It says, Mary was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew is signaling to us, Jesus is different. He's different because he is divine. One church father explains, but because the word could not be seen as God in the glory of his own majesty, he assumed visible flesh to demonstrate his invisible divinity. He took from us what is ours in order to give us generously what is his. Right? That's 
the main point of the story. And God is that main character in the story. He's the main driver of what happens. He is everywhere present throughout all history. But this means that if God is the main character of all that happens, we also must see that God is the main character in our lives. Another church father writes, he took from us what is ours in order to give generously what is his. That is to say, we have true life, abundant life, life everlasting in him. We have a life that is no longer defined by death and sin. Life that is no longer about struggling alone in the darkness. Instead, we have life with Emmanuel. We live life with God. And so God gets the most lines in our life, so to speak. Because it was the word of God coming into this world that truly brought you into the new creation of this world. It was the word of God that saved you at your baptisms. St. Leo writes, the same spirit that filled the virgin now fills the baptismal font. Hence that sin which was once removed by a holy conception is now taken away by the washing of baptism. The word of God comes to you in bread and wine. And when we ingest him by faith, we're brought ever more closer to God, to Emmanuel, God with us. And God speaks to us through the proclamation of his word. When through our ears, he speaks to our hearts and assures us that he is with us. Indeed, God is not silent in history. And even more, God is not silent in our lives. Whether God is the main character that shapes us in the good news, that our sins are forgiven. He shapes us with the assurance of his transforming presence. He shapes us to love his goodness and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it's his word that's going to raise us from the grave on the last day so that our whole life, beginning and end, is dependent on the very word of God. Well, we have just a week left in Advent, so we have just a little time to prepare for the coming of the Messiah into this world. And so let us take that time to prepare for the word of God that is coming, not to be an extra in our life, not to be an accessory, not to be a warm, fuzzy feeling, but the word of God that is coming to be your life. He is coming to give you life. He is coming as your life, the main speaker in your life. And it's his word that gives you life. And so in this final week of Advent, we prepare to listen to him as he speaks to us through his dear son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.